Good morning, everybody. We've got a Saturday morning NBA slate. We've been see- I don't know why the NBA schedules games this way, but for whatever reason, Saturdays and Sundays, they decide that we need afternoon playoff games. I don't mind it, especially not today, because I get to break down games with Ryan. And Ryan and I are friends, and we don't get to do very many shows together. Whenever we're on the schedule, for some reason, something goes sideways and it doesn't end up happening. But we've locked it in. We're here. We're starting it off. Ryan, what's going on? Yeah, good morning. Uh, Early NBA action. Uh, Busy sports today. Obviously, the Kentucky Derby is happening. But yeah, yeah, the NBA schedule has been kind of wonky of late. Uh, Just like I was shocked to see they took a day off and... Here we are uh, talking about a little two-game slate and a couple of game fours and uh, a couple of exciting series is already uh, taking place. A little chippiness happening in Golden State today, as, as Steve Kerr thinks uh, Dylan, Brooks, Dylan Brooks broke the code. Yeah, so uh, I, I want to ask you, and we've got a, a little bit of liberty here to play with Tom, only, only two games. Do us a favor, guys, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, what do you make of Dylan Brooks as a player overall? Because there's a lot of advanced stats that, you know, that value him being not a great offensive player, but very valuable on defense. And I'm going to be biased because he seems to suck whenever I watch him play. But I hate the decision making of Dylan Brooks, because whenever he's playing, it seems like Dylan Brooks thinks the best player on the court is Dylan Brooks. And he would love to take all the usage from John Moran. So I don't think he's a all that great of a player. It's not going to matter that much for DFS, particularly like on FanDuel. I think he's really cheap and it's hard to get away from him. But do you like Dylan Brooks and do you think he's valuable? Uh, do I think he's valuable? No, and I do not enjoy him <laughs> as a basketball player. I think he's kind of, honestly, he's kind of trash. I'm not uh, too uh, keen on Dylan Brooks. I know they pay, he's got a pretty nice uh, contract. I, say, I think he only makes like $12 million a year. But even coming out of Oregon, I just was not the biggest fan of him. He seems kind of annoying. That's really about it. But I, I don't like Dylan Brooks, honestly. And we'll see what that rotation looks like without him today. Uh, he is suspended. So uh, that is some in, important rotational breakdown. So it's a little different uh, than the previous game. We've seen uh, Steven Adams be out with health and safety protocols. Does he enter the rotation today? I don't think so, but you never know. But, yeah, I don't like Dylan Brooks at all as a player. Honestly, I'd rather uh, – I think there's a reason why there are times they play better uh, without him on the court. And, uh, it's in, they won the game last game and he's, uh, with all that uh, – with him being pretty much gone for the whole game. He was he got ejected with, with five minutes left in the first quarter. So, yeah, I, I don't think many people are the biggest fan of him either. Uh, he's just like maybe analytically, defensively, like you said, sticks out. But God, his offensive game is so, so bad. Yeah, and uh, by the way, I misspoke for because he is suspended today. Just I've played him a lot in this series because he's been cheap. And here's something also that drove me crazy last game. Two of my more rostered players last late were Dylan Brooks and Gary Payton the second. And Brooks took both of them out 30 seconds into the game, gets himself kicked out and ultimately suspended for today, and also ended up injuring Gary Payton and broke his elbow on that play. So you know, on a lot of these slates, we don't have that many, well, at least for playoff situations, we would normally think we don't have that much injury news to talk about. But uh, for whatever reason, injuries keep popping up in these playoffs. So we're going to have to talk about the Warriors rotation without Gary Payton later, and then the Grizzlies rotation 
without Dylan Brooks. But first, let's talk about the first game on the slate, the Boston Celtics against the Milwaukee Bucks. As a lot of people know, I'm a big Boston Celtics fan for this particular playoff series and for this playoff run in general. We've got a really tight game. Actually, this opened up as a Bucks minus three and a half favorite. The line's been bet all the way down to minus one and a half. So looking at like a coin flip game, the next couple in Milwaukee, starting on the Boston side, Ryan, how do you feel about the payup options here? Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who have both individually had some efficiency struggles in the series, but there's apparent upside as well. Yeah, definitely. It's a two game slate and uh, you've got to have some interest in them. It's, it seems like the series is, Go, uh, heading towards more of a Jalen Brown series than a Jason Tatum series, as we've seen uh, Tatum kind of struggle. Obviously, he was lights out in the Brooklyn series. And I, I do think Marcus Smart returning uh, does uh, limit the ceiling a little bit. We saw Jalen Brown get a lot more ball handling duty due, due to the foul trouble of Derek White last time as uh, Mark, when Marcus Smart was out. But I still think Marcus Smart, I don't expect his minutes to be as high as Brown and Tatum. And if you were to tell me to pick one uh, Boston player to go with, either Brown and Brown or Tatum, I still am going to lean with uh, Jalen Brown. Honestly, uh, Brown comes in at eighty-eight hundred dollars on Fanduel, checks in at eight thousand dollars on DraftKings, and the way uh, Milwaukee has handled Tatum, I think their ceilings are kind of similar. So I'd rather take the savings uh, with Brown. I know you're getting uh, Tatum at $10,000 on DraftKings, and uh, he comes in at $10,000 on FanDuel. I'd rather play him on FanDuel than on DK, but i got to prefer Jalen Brown to Tatum uh, among those two, uh, the two-headed monster there in Boston. Yeah, and to back up what you were saying there about how they're defending him, here's the usage rate for, for Tatum in the first couple of games of the series, 26% and 28%. Now, obviously, those aren't insignificant, but it's lower than we normally see from Tatum. And to your point about how Milwaukee defends players, they do generally try to take away a team's best option. As a result, like Al Horford is just free to fire open threes whenever he wants. Marcus Smart has been free to open threes whenever he wants. That's just kind of how they defend, and they kind of sell out to, to defend like a Jason Tatum and let other guys beat him. So as a result, how does that view how does that change how you view some of the role players on the team in this matchup as compared to maybe another matchup when it comes to like a Marcus Smart or an Al Horford? Yeah, so it's going to be, I'm going to keep an eye on any Ime Udoka, like I guess pregame press conference of how they might handle Marcus Smart's minutes. Uh, Marcus Smart comes prices extremely well. Uh, if there is no uh, minutes restriction for Marcus Smart, he comes in $6,200, $6,300. He looks fantastic. I know he's not necessarily a role player. He's one of their better players, but just because of that price tag, I have to have significant interest in him. And we've always, it's always been that theory of role players play better at home than on the road. And I'm kind of shying away from some of the role players, especially Grant Williams, 4,500. Uh, that's just a little too expensive. There's going to be a game in this series where I think Robert Williams will play more minutes than Al Horford at some point. Robert Williams is priced extremely favorably for the uh, block upside he has on FanDuel 5100, where he has power forward and center eligibility. We know those minutes can be higher. So I'm kind of be potentially buying a little low on Robert Williams on the minutes upside. And he doesn't need to do much at that price tag. He can do his damage in mid-20s minutes. Like if, if you're telling me Robert Williams is going to get 25 minutes today, I'm going to have a lot of interest at 4800 on DraftKings, 5100. 
really don't have much interest in guys uh, coming off the bench, really. I mean, if there was a guy who I want to take a chance on coming off the bench, uh, it would be a Derek White, uh, just because Marcus Smart is coming off an injury. There's a chance of re-aggravation or re-injury. Uh, it's, I don't have any issues if you play them both, just because of how uh, well Derek White's priced at. $3,900, $4,100 on FanDuel and DraftKings, respectively. Not much ownership. And, uh, and on these two-game slates, it's uh, if you nail that value option, like the sub-4K value option to open up your salary, uh, it really does uh, separate you from the rest of the field as, uh, con- uh, as ownership is much more concentrated on a two-game slate. Derek White has the upside to get you 20 fantasy points, and if not higher, you would love to get mid-20s at that price tag. But he certainly has that. I know he's struggled in terms of getting fantasy production, but I, I, I just like that price tag where he just opened things up to get you uh, for you to pay up for a potential Giannis. Yeah, and the other thing to mention too about the Celtics, because you talked about any kind of potential minutes restriction on Marcus Smart, is they've been playing a really, really tight rotation this series. So last game when there was no Marcus Smart, they only ran seven guys. Tice was... Uh, out of the rotation and if you look at some of the minutes for other guys like don't read anything into the two minutes from Hauser, Fitz, Cornette, any of those guys it was just a blowout and they got a couple minutes of run but this is essentially a seven-man rotation I think it's probably gonna be an eight-man rotation today with Marcus Smart back and I also want to expand a little bit on what you said about Robert Williams because I don't know what the minutes are going to look like but there's potential for him to have a ceiling for playing time greater than what we've seen. So he had five personal fouls last game. And then also something else, he's coming back from that knee uh, knee surgery that he had for, for a meniscus tear. And they've been a little cautious with his minutes to this point, but we've kind of slowly seen it ramp up. So first couple of games he returned against the Nets, he played 16 and 14 minutes. Then he moves back into the starting lineup for the series against the box, plays 22 minutes in game one. 25 minutes in game two, but there was also foul trouble. If there wasn't for the fouls, who knows how many minutes he would have played. But here's how I've been approaching some of these playoff spots. And I know that Robert Williams is in some like massive contrarian play. He is projected for uh, 38% ownership on FanDuel and on DraftKings, he's projected for 31% ownership. But think of it this way. If we knew that there was no minutes restriction on Robert Williams, like we knew for sure, he'd be the most popular player on the slate because there isn't that much there isn't that much value available to us. I guess maybe Melton would be up there as well. But the point I'm making is in tournaments on a two-game slate where I want to try to capture upside, I think Robert Williams is pretty clearly the hot, one of the highest upside plays on the slate relative to his salary because there's a chance that he has a ceiling for minutes that we haven't seen yet. So I'm with you. I really do like Robert Williams in, in tournaments. Yeah, Rob Williams is, uh, I think the ceiling is honestly, uh, he can put up 50 points in the spot. Uh, if the minutes the minutes floor, I think, is 20, and he could play uh, mid-30s. It could happen. We just haven't seen it yet. And I think that recency bias of just the minutes coming off from in- injury might keep that ownership low. And on two-game slates, you got to take some chances on some uh, some players, and why not a cheaper price rob williams i mean he's pretty cheap at this price tag where where the minutes if he's if you're telling me he can play 30 minutes god i mean it's tough not to like him in significant fashion today especially on fando i know he's 5100 those blocks really add up over there i believe last year in the playoffs he had an 11 block game so and not to say 11 blocks is on the horizon but he picks those up in a hurry and uh it's yeah like you you know all the uh, key aspects and there's a pathway to real success there and he seems like it grades out to be a fantastic play. The guy who I haven't been able to nail down this series or kind of in the playoffs at all 
It's kind of been the like the revolution of Al Horford. Uh, he's been he started off this season, regular season really well, then kind of tailed off towards the end of this uh, regular season. Now he's been playing just really well uh, throughout the series. Uh, I just don't think it's all that sustainable. His price tag uh, puts him in a spot where he's going to have some ownership for sure. $5,900 on uh, DraftKings and comes in at $7,200 on FanDuel. Man, I'd rather just take the savings on Rob Williams and uh, just hope for that ceiling game, uh, potential ceiling game from him. But if you want to play Horford, $5,900 on DraftKings, it makes sense why he's much more higher owned there. I don't have much interest over there on FanDuel. That's a tough price tag to go for in Al Horford. He is more expensive than guys like Draymond Green, Brandon Clark, uh, even Andrew Wiggins, a bunch of guys who have higher minutes upside and I think just have a higher uh, uh, higher ceiling, similar ceiling to him at that price tag. So I'm kind of off of uh, Al Horford today on FanDuel, but he's one of those guys who's burned me all series long, kind of all playoffs long. How do you feel about Al Horford? I prefer getting to Robert Williams. I said the same thing last game and it didn't go quite as well, but, and I know the people are just going to look at what's happened in the recent games on our roster. I'm like, we got Victor Oladipo at 30% owned yesterday because people just look at what happened last game. And that's what they're building their lineups based on. And I think that's something that I was talking with Eric on the show yesterday. I think for ownership projection purposes, we probably have to consider that people are going to be so heavily swayed towards whatever happened last game. Just thinking this is the way things are going forward. When, Context gets ignored like, yeah, Victor Oladipo played extended minutes at one point because Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lauer were both out. And then Kyle Lauer returns and Oladipo literally has the same exact ownership on FanDuel and DraftKings. So I think we're going to see something similar in terms of because I've already seen it in chat. By the way, I understand people saying this. We're saying that this is an Al Horford series, not a Robert Williams series. But the context of that to this point is that Robert Williams is coming back from knee surgery and he got in foul trouble last game. And in general, over the course of the entire season, when Robert Williams and Al Horford have shared the court together, Robert Williams has been the better fantasy producer. And I don't think the last two games all of a sudden changes that. I just think Robert Williams foul trouble and he's working himself back from injury. It doesn't mean he's going to be 100% today, but I'm willing to take the chance that he is going to be healthier when you consider that he's cheaper and he's been more expensive than Al Horford for almost the entire season. So I think we're on the same page with this one. Another key aspect to keep in mind here, the last time these two teams, uh, these four teams played was on Wednesday night. There was an extra day of rest uh, per travel. So they had um, an extra day, is an extra day of rest, which does play a factor in sometimes in minutes. Uh, if you, I do think that is a factor that uh, can elevate these guys' minutes a little bit, but uh, just keeping an eye on uh I think the, just keeping an eye on what happens with Marcus Smart and his minutes will uh, change up a little bit. But this Boston team running a tight rotation, you you know where the minutes are going, where the usage is going. And I feel like just to sum it up, just taking some chances on Rob Williams, uh, potentially a Derek White off the bench is some, uh, something that I'll be doing. And uh, someone asked about Peyton Pritchard. I really don't think it's necessary to go there by any means. If I was building one lineup, he definitely doesn't crack one lineup for me. But if I was 150 maxing, I do think I'll fall on some Pritchard, but it's not like something I'm going to be going out of my way to do because he's only $200 uh, cheaper than uh, Derek White and $300 on drafting. So he's not something I'm super excited for. I do think there's some better value in the next game with no Dylan Brooks. 
And I think one more guy we should talk about just because, once again, it's only a two-game slate, leave no stone unturned, is Grant Williams has played really well in the playoffs. And it is so far different from what we saw from in the regular season because for his entire career, Grant Williams has been absolute shit from a fantasy production standpoint. During the regular season, he played 25 minutes per game and averaged 17 fantasy points. So he's not somebody who's screamed fantasy upside, but now in the playoffs, all of a sudden we're starting to see some upside games from Grant Williams. 33 fantasy points last game, closeout game against the next uh, against the Nets, 26 fantasy points. In game two against the Nets, he scored 30 fantasy points. Do you think there's actual upside here in Grant Williams, or is this just some three-point variance? Because this is it's it's a level of play we've never really seen from him before. So Grant Williams uh had an interesting uh tidbit in the news come out earlier in the week. I don't know if you saw this, but Doka did a radio, uh, just like one of his radio interviews, and he said, Williams uh, said he expected plays to be called for him like Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum, like he wanted plays called for him like that. And I was just baffled to hear that. And then Doka said he called one play for him against Oklahoma City, and then uh, SGA was guarding him on the post, and SGA blocked him, and that was his one attempt. He lost his opportunity to get plays called for Grant Williams. I just don't like Grant Williams, honestly. Uh, he's $4,500. He's playing uh, above his above his head a little bit, so I'm willing to shy away. Uh, shooting the three-point uh, – he's shooting at a very high three-point percentage. I don't know what his percentage is in this series, but I just am um, willing to come under the field on him. He's not getting much ownership at all. 4200 on uh, DraftKings. Where you get the three-point bonus, I'd rather fire him off over there. Uh, $4,500 on FanDuel. Power forward only look. I mean – that is not uh, that appealing for me. I'm not that excited to go to Rob, uh, Grant Williams uh, tonight. And something else to consider also is that if you and I are both anticipating that Robert Williams is more of a ceiling for his minutes, we also have to say, where is that playing time coming from? And Grant Williams seems the most likely candidate to me. Like Robert, uh, Al Horford's played well enough that I don't think he's going to significantly see a reduction in minutes. But Grant Williams could certainly cede a couple of minutes to Robert Williams. Would you also agree that's probably where a couple extra minutes for Robert Williams would come from? Yeah, that could definitely happen. We might, yeah, obviously that might also lead to less Horford at the five as well. And um, yeah, I think I, I, Grant Williams. I do, I do think we've seen those uh, the higher side of minutes this series. I don't think I think his minutes are more in the lower 20s or in high teens than uh, what we've been getting of late but he's been playing well uh, so we'll see uh, what ends up happening tonight so I'm a little I think I'm just going to be selling high on Williams I just don't think he's um, I don't think he's that good of a play today but it can definitely burn me it burned me last game uh, last game out so we'll see what those minutes actually look like I'm just hoping for more Rob Williams minutes uh, down the stretch here uh, we were on the same page also because of my Celtics futures bets. I would like Robert Williams to get going because Robert Williams is really good and provides a lot of value to Boston, particularly on defense. You know what else provides a lot of value, Ryan? Our new promo code, Luca, because you get $7 off for a full seven days of Osmo Plus Platinum, 77% off our usual weekly price. Do you know why it's 77% off? 
not because Joey Corman is smart, but by total coincidence. We found out after the fact because Joey Corman could never do the math and figure these things out. But Luca's number, 77. His package, 77% off our normal weekly price. Get access to tools for basically every single DFS sport out there. We've got F1 projections now, USFL, tennis, anything you want. We've got you covered. Stop guessing, start winning. Join Awesome Plus today. Don't forget, use that promo code Luca at checkout, L-U-K-A. All right, let's move on to the other side of the game when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks. I think we have to start by talking about Giannis. And I have him projected for the most fantasy points on the slate. That's not a hot take. Everybody else is probably going to have him projected for the most fantasy points on the slate by a decent margin. The only question that really comes, that really comes with, with Giannis is, is it going to be easy to get to him today? And how much exposure do we want? considering that a lot of these playoff slates don't necessarily have a ton of value. So Ryan, how are you going to be handling Giannis on this two gamer? Yeah. Giannis, obviously it's really valuable to have the highest scoring player on the slate in your lineup. And Giannis, if you were to run this uh, slate out, this slate were to happen a hundred times, he's probably the highest scoring player on the slate, maybe just North of uh, 50 or 60 times, uh, if not higher, uh, May actually probably even higher now that I think about it. Who else is uh, who he's competing with? I think Giannis is an exceptional play on FanDuel. Only eleven thousand dollars. I like going to Giannis. I think he makes a lot of sense there. But he is not my. Um, if I were to make one lineup, and if you were to like force me to play one Buck player, it might be Drew Holiday because of the savings I'm getting. But I like Giannis a lot. I do think um, there might be, there should be enough uh, value to jam him in. It might get a little dry with the value options that we have, but I'm willing to go there. Uh, I like Giannis a lot. I, I just think the floor of just him getting you around 60 fantasy points is fantastic. And that can carry you a long way, especially when he uh, can be the highest scoring player on the slate. And uh, he's, sorry, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I agree with you. And the other thing I was going to tie this into is uh, last, uh, when we were talking about the Celtics and you had said you prefer Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I totally agree with that. And the main reason is because there's salary restrictions at some point. And if I'm paying up for somebody, I'd rather pay 11,000 for Giannis on FanDuel than 10,000 for Jason Tatum. And I'd rather pay 11,500 for Giannis on DK than 10,000 for Tatum. So I think the opportunity cost of rostering Giannis means less Tatum. And I'm totally cool with that trade-off. Yeah, and I also think, like, if there's a guy who's going to get you 70, 75 fantasy points on the slate, it's going to be honest. So the ceiling is just fantastic. I know uh, he uh, hasn't been shooting as efficiently. I, I think he went 9 of 24 in the first game, uh, so, but he got to the line a lot. You just got to like his ceiling. And uh, by no means am I pushing for a Giannis fade on this slate. But if for some reason you do want to go full on balance build where there is a lot of merit to doing so on these two game slates, if you're hand building a lineup and you don't play honest, I wouldn't absolutely fault you for it. Uh, but I just think your, your opportunity cost is pretty significant if you're going to miss out on a Giannis ceiling game. And he just say there's enough value to just get him in there based on the Dylan Brooks situation. Um, obviously we talked about the Rob Williams potential minutes going up. We're hoping for that. So there is some value to just get him in there. And uh, it's not that hard to get him in there on a two-game slate, which is nice. Uh, so it's not like an absolute must-have, but he seems very nice to put, have in your lineup today. Yeah, And then the other thing, too, is it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, because he's been out for so long. But 
Chris Middleton still isn't back for the for the uh, for the Bucks, and he might not be back even next series if the Bucks were to make it that far. And there's a usage increase that Giannis gets without Middleton, and his prices never really change for that. Like if you think about Giannis's price in the regular season compared to now, he's eleven five on DK, eleven thousand on Fanduel. That's more or less where we normally see him in the regular season when Middleton is active. And now we're also getting extended minutes from Giannis. So it's it's a value type of situation we don't really think about. But if this was a regular season slate, once again, where there was no Middleton, everybody would be firing off Giannis at this price tag. And he's going to be popular again today. So it's not like people are avoiding him or anything like that, but just just kind of tying that into the, the value consideration on the price tag with Giannis. Uh, moving down the, the pricing tier with the rest of the Bucks guys, Drew Holiday to me is at a point now where I think the price is a little bit steep for me. He's $8,100 on DraftKings Fandle. He's $8,300, and he's also expected to be really popular. It's a two-game slate, so it's not to say he's unplayable, but considering he's projected for 40% ownership on FanDuel, and then on DK, he is projected for 30% ownership. I think this is a number I'm ultimately going to come underweight to the field on. I prefer getting to Giannis. Some of the Grizzlies guys are forgetting to Jason Tatum in the same price range. How do you view Drew Holiday? Yeah, Drew Holiday, uh, I like a lot. I mean, he's the second guy on this team that needs to be running the show. And if the defense, uh, there are times where we saw in the first game where Drew Holiday just kind of carried the team when Giannis picked up that fifth foul and played really well. I like going to Holiday a lot, and I like being above the field on a guy like him. I just think uh, he's playing really well, and I think the, the way they're focusing on Giannis is just opening up things a bit more, and also there's no Middleton. So he's also getting more of that usage uh, sprinkled his way as well. And he's coming in pretty favorably, and like – Drew Holiday, um, just with the given situation, he has the upside of uh, being the second uh, top two guard on the slate. So that uh, reason alone is why I like chasing the potential ceiling from Holiday. I mean, he's uh, you're in the guard spot. He's competing with guys like uh, obviously um, John Morant, Steph Curry, and uh, the next tier guys are guys like Jordan Poole and Marcus Smart, but. Drew Holiday, I like a decent amount, and I think I will be definitely over the field on him on both sides. So I just like everything, that how things look for him on this slate. I think the ceiling is there, and I think that we're at a price tag where I'm willing to take my chances with him um, kind of across the board. So yeah, there's, uh, I think the minutes could be upwards of, I don't know, if you were to tell me Drew Holiday was going to play 40 minutes today, I think that's certainly in the cards. So I like going to Drew Holiday just because – Minutes upside and uh, seems pretty awesome in terms of like what he's been able to do in the series. Yeah, so we're a little bit different on that. I think I view Drew Holiday as being really safe. As for the ceiling, though, I agree. I think he could play 40 minutes. That's where he's kind of been capped out in the postseason. But there have been other teams that we've seen more liberal with the minutes and allow their guys to play north of 40 minutes, like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum playing mid-40s minutes in a bunch of games. And in general, the ceiling hasn't been there for Drew Holiday in the playoffs. He has one game with 42 fantasy points, one game with 50 fantasy points, and then he's been 38 or lower in every single other playoff game. And in general, I just view Holiday as being a high floor play and not as much a high ceiling. And at his price tag, I don't value that quite as much on this two-game slate. But like you said, you could end up projecting for more minutes than me, and then it would make him look different because you give somebody two extra minutes on a two-game slate – and that's something where if you just run your lineups in fantasy contract, that could be the difference. Two minutes could be the difference between getting somebody in 15% of lineups and like 35% of lineups. But at least in the initial build I did, I ended up coming underway to Drew Holiday. But 
I'll definitely consider what you said. Maybe I'll I'll up them just because of how how highly I value your opinion, Ryan. Uh, but filling out the rest of the guys on the Bucks, uh, I guess Bobby Portis is kind of in a tier of his own, and then there's just a bunch of role players that I don't think are massively appealing. But once we get past Giannis and Drew Holiday, what stands out to you, if anything, from the Bucks? Yeah, it's kind of role player roulette on the Bucks, and uh, in terms of just like ranking these guys as uh, out, I I do think. Bobby Portis would be my favorite role player to target here, but it's um, kind of hard to go there in confidence. Brooke Lopez minutes, I do think, um, are kind of going to fluctuate throughout this series, and I think they're going to potentially dip a little bit. I'd rather play just straight up. I'd rather play Rob Williams at that price tag. So uh, it's tough for me to go to Brooke Lopez in um, ex- any exciting fashion. Can Brooke Lopez... Knock down five threes, get you that backdoor double-double, sure. On DK, where you get the three-point bonus, yeah. On Fando, I, I don't like him that much. At 5K, I'd rather play Rob Williams. But it's a it's role-player roulette. Um, just looking at guys who you can target, I think uh, if it's not Portis, who's 6,100, he's like kind of expensive even. Honestly, it might be Pat Compton, just purely based off price. He's 4K and $3,400. That's the guy who I think I'd be willing to take some more chances on than the rest of the field, just purely on price at $3,400. So uh, it's a tough um, situation here to go in any sort of confidence just because it's kind of hard to uh, draw conclusions based off just like these first couple games. I'm not sure what to really expect Um, in terms of minutes. I know they seem kind of fluctuated. Wesley Matthews is getting started. He's awful to play, but... He's even getting some ownership on DraftKings potentially today. So I really don't have much interest, but I think Connaughton would be the guy just purely on price and the savings just to potentially me to like pay up for some extra studs and improve, upgrade other players in other positions. Yeah, I think the Bucks on the low end are probably the least intriguing team for value today. Would you agree with that? 100%. Yeah, it's tough for to uh, go there. I know they even run a tight rotation. Sometimes that should be enough an indicator to take some chances on, but we're dealing in the next game with uh, a, a potentially a new rotation. Uh, both will have different starting lineups. So there, there is some chances to exploit uh, being on the right side of the rotation, predicting what the rotation might look like in that Golden State and Memphis matchup. We did see what it might look like as both Brooks and Gary Payton both left the game at the same time and what the rotation might look like. But I'd rather take some chances in that game with the value than in this game. And obviously, and not that it matters that much, but the uh, the total is, uh, I want to say 10 points, or sorry, yeah, 10 points greater, or 13 points greater in the Golden State Memphis game than the Memphis, uh, than the Milwaukee Boston game, which is uh, 13 points is a decent amount. Yeah, and once again, I think one thing that's going to help us out, we're about to talk about the Grizzlies Warriors game, and you mentioned that we're going to be looking at new rotations. The reason being, just to reiterate, is there is no Dylan Brooks for Memphis. There is no Gary Payton for Golden State. So there's going to be a little bit a little bit more potential for value for cheap guys when we get to there. So I don't think we really need a dumpster dive too much and try to hope for value out of these Bucks guys. It's not to say one of them couldn't pop off in a fluke kind of situation, but I think we're going to feel a little bit safer going to some of the Bucks and Warriors guys we'll be talking about in a second. 
But first, I want to shout out the sponsor of our show, Prize Picks. Because if you guys sign up at Prize Picks for the first time using the promo code Osmo, you get up to $100 bonus on your first deposit and one free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. Find all the tools you need to build winning NBA DFS lineups. Also on Prize Picks, I'm just looking over some of the numbers here, Ryan, and here's something that really stands out to me. Considering the amount of playing time he's getting, Jason Tatum as a rebound prop over under six rebounds. I love the over on that number because Jason Tatum is playing so many minutes and you consider the situation also one, one series we're heading on the road to Milwaukee. This is going to be a pivotal game. I think we're going to be getting over 40 minutes of Jason Tatum. That is a really low rebound prop at six. And at the very least, I think that's pretty safe to push. So I like over six rebounds. How does that sound to you? That looks fantastic. Do you want to guess on what our free tool has the expected win percentage at uh, for that prop? It's going to be high. Uh, I don't know, 70%? You're wrong. It is 85% expected win. So it seems like a fantastic play. And I've I've mentioned that uh, taking advantage of these uh, quote-unquote prop inefficiencies across all different markets, that being this one, that being player props on sportsbooks or other sponsors such as Underdog. I'll, uh, they have a player prop-based contest as well. It is, I think, um, an excellent way to build a bankroll. And I think uh, just using our free tool out there, you're going to be a leg up on – it's not the field you're trying to beat them, but you're going to be in a leg up in terms of giving yourself the best chance to be profitable for a long period of time. So definitely check out that free tool. And, yeah, I mean, that's a – pretty awesome rebound prop to take advantage of it and wouldn't shock me if he hits it in the first half so i expect that to change uh they they do change throughout the day right on yeah prize picks. Yeah, yeah and they so, do pretty often so once again if you're gonna if you're gonna sign up for prize picks probably makes sense to do it now while some of these good numbers are available because they'll probably move throughout the day just do it using the promo code awesome will get a little bit of extra money in your pocket and also free access to our Osmo Plus Platinum tools for a month. Uh, so let's move on to the next game, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Golden State Warriors. And we have some injury situations, some value to talk about. And Ryan, with Dylan Brooks suspended for uh, assaulting Gary Payton the second and breaking his arm last game, who do you see being the cheap guy that steps up and takes on the biggest increased role in the Grizzlies rotation? So last game we saw... I believe Zaire Williams ended up closing the game, correct? If I'm not mistaken. So, but I don't necessarily think that'll be the case again. Those Zaire Williams minutes can easily become into uh, John Conchar. They could easily become into more Kyle Anderson. I'm a little skeptical on Zaire Williams getting a lot of those minutes. I know he closed, he played well, hit some, hit a big three, I believe. But I think. Once Dylan Brooks got ejected, I need to just make sure who entered the game there. I believe it was Kyle. No, it was DeAnthony Melton entered the game. I, uh, I, I remember it being Melton. I'd have to look to be, I'd have to check popcorn mean, a popcorn machine to be double sure. But I remember it being Melton because thinking like, oh, cool, Melton's definitely going to break the slate as a pivot off of Pritchard and Derek White when Brooks got ejected. Like, I remember that going through my head. Yeah, so... Uh, just pulling up, uh, seeing what happens here. Yeah, so Dylan Brooks gets ejected, and uh, yeah, DeAnthony Melton seems like the one who entered the game. So my indic, I my guess would be Melton, but I don't necessarily think Melton is going to start. I think it could be easily Kyle Anderson who gets to start here, uh, just because of 
I think Kyle Anderson just can fit in right there. I think they like Melton coming off the bench, giving that uh, firepower off the bench. But that is something that's going to be very interesting to see what will how that will play out. I would uh, shy away from Zaire Williams. He's priced up a lot at forty seven hundred dollars on FanDuel, and uh, he's thirty one hundred on thirty two hundred dollars on DraftKings. I'm just not sure what those minutes are, uh, will look like. And as crazy as it sounds, I'm willing to take a flyer on a guy like John Conchar at 3K. He might only play uh, 10, 12 minutes, but I don't think there's going to be much ownership going to him. And I, I easily think he could get uh, the Zyra Williams minutes off the bench, depending on game flow. Another thing to keep an eye on, uh, I know Steven Adams returned. I have no idea what they're going to do. And I don't think um, I, I easily can see Steven Adams getting the start uh, here tonight. And it, I know they've gone away from it, but I think I'd rather have him start than Xavier Tillman, yeah. honestly, but I really like um, just building some lineups with Steven Adams, but he is priced extremely favorably at $3,400. And I'm willing to take some chances on him, even if he doesn't start just because, we're going to get him at low ownership, and he just helps you get in a Stars and Scrubs lineup on a two-game slate. There's a lot of question marks with this uh, rotation for Memphis tonight. Uh, proceed with caution, but be willing to take some risks on guys like Slow-Mo, uh, even Steven Adams. Uh, Melton's priced up. He, he's coming off the bench. Even Tyus Jones might get some extra minutes. All these guys, I can easily see Dylan Brooks' uh, mid-30s minutes be spread across the guys like Tyus Jones, Melton, uh, Slomo uh, are the three guys that come to mind, uh, and Zaire Williams slash John Conchar. Yeah, one thing that's tricky about the Grizzlies is most teams when they get into the playoffs condense their rotation. That is not what the Grizzlies have done. They're just playing the same like deep ten man rotation they did in the regular season, and it makes minutes pretty tricky to project because. Outside of John Morant and Desmond Bain, I'm not confident in saying anybody on this team plays over 30 minutes. I would say with Jaron Jackson Jr., but the foul risk is so significant with him that I don't think you could ever confidently say that Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to play 36 minutes. There's clear upside in Triple J, but I'm never com- I'm never comfortable projecting him to play, say, like 36 because the foul risk is there. Uh, as it comes to Zaire Williams, I'm there's there's a very, very, very low ceiling with him. Uh, but we've also seen him start a lot. So I think we kind of have an idea of what he's going to look like as a starter because he started 31 games in the regular season. He averaged 26 minutes and 16 fantasy points. That's probably about a fair expectation for him. If you're in desperate need of salary in DraftKings only, it's okay to roster him, but I wouldn't go too heavy because the ceiling is pretty capped. And also, I'm with you on Steven Adams. I've gotten destroyed trying to project this Memphis Grizzlies front court for a lot of the postseason. It's been a really difficult task to do. I've been burned by Steven Adams before. Uh, but I'm probably willing to do it again here, not to the point where like I want to get Steven Adams in 20% of my lineups or anything, but he's almost, unless he starts, he's going to be almost unowned today. And I wouldn't be surprised if he carves out some sort of role in the rotation and even five to 10% of Steven Adams could be a massive difference maker on a two game slate. Is that kind of how you're viewing Adams as well? Yeah. And just to like, I guess, compare Adams. It's a price tag play. He's $3,400. Let's say if he gets like the honorary start of each half, right? He still starts the first half and second half. Even if he plays 12 minutes, I'm willing to take some chances at 12 minutes just because he opens things up a little bit. 
it's not a I don't think if I were building one lineup, does Adams fall in there? I don't I don't think I'm that bullish on him, but I, I like I I do think they should start him, uh just to see how things would go. But uh yeah, it's someone who I'm willing to take some chances on. I mean it's Steven Adams. If, if you were to tell me at the uh, tomorrow morning that Adams played 24 minutes, it would not shock me. And if Xavier Tillman's out of the rotation, yeah, uh, it's, that could definitely happen. Um, but it's going to be, yeah, like you said, the minutes on this team, especially now with Taylor Jenkins, he just uh, keeps, like, obviously changing things up. His in-game adjustments have been very disappointing in the playoffs, I think. And then he's going up against uh, kind of the Jedi of series ad- adjustments in Steve Kerr. I'm going to be very um, – if guys like Zaire Williams get a lot of ownership, I'm going to be, like, shying away and just taking – like, willing be willing to spend up for, like, a slow-mo or other guys. But I know we talked about these role players, but looking at, like, the, uh, the guys who've been getting a lot of these minutes uh, for this Memphis team, uh, speaking of minutes, the guy who's allergic to minutes and uh, in love with foul trouble is Jaron Jackson Jr. If this guy does not uh, does not get into foul trouble – he could be like a 9K player. It's just all like he needs to go to some sort of like foul therapy. I have no idea how we can get this guy to like keep his hands to himself. Like it is pretty bizarre. And it's uh, in terms of fa- like a fantasy perspective, it's really annoying. And like, man, like just foul trouble and the way coaches handle it at times, it's really uh, tilting. But here we are. Know the floor with Jaron Jackson Jr. He could pick up four first half fouls and play only 20 minutes. And that could definitely change things up, but I gotta like his ceiling. And honestly, um, if you were to tell me, would I in one lineup would I rather play John ja Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. today? I'm going with Jaron Jackson Jr. because I think Steve Kerr is gonna change up the defensive scheme on John ja Morant today, and there might be a situation where we see uh, Steve Kerr blitz John ja Morant a bit more to force the ball out of his hands. And he's uh, with Triple J only sixty three hundred dollars on DK and he comes in at $7,100 on FanDuel. I just like the ceiling that we might get out of him. Uh, but keep in, keep in mind, we know the, uh, key, uh, the risk with him. He's just like foul trouble. And it's, it's pretty like embarrassing at this point. Yeah. And I will say this at least. And uh, by the way, Bruce, I see your super chat. We're going to answer it in a sec. I just wanted to get through some of these other Memphis players and then we'll hit on your super chat and then we'll round up uh, by talking about John Moran. But when it comes to to Jaron Jackson Jr., the upside is very apparent, as like you said, is the downside because of the foul issues. I'll say this at least, though. His risk of getting in foul trouble guarding like Draymond Green is significantly less than when he had to match up against Carl Anthony Towns last series. Now, does it necessarily mean he's going to totally avoid? No, he fouled out last game in 29 minutes, but we were seeing him foul out in sub-20 minutes in the series against the, against the Timberwolves. So I think this is oh, a little... Yeah. It's been an exponential improvement compared to the first <laughs> round. An exponential improvement. And like you said, I, I do think obviously going up against Cat, a ball-dominant offensive center is much more different than a facilitating uh, facilitating a play, a playmaker in uh, Draymond Green. Yeah, and so that's something I think helps him a little bit. And by the way, there was people, and I mean, we had in our projections where there was like going out projecting Jaron Jackson Jr. for like 24 minutes, which is just a foul trouble projection. And I can't even say it's wrong. I don't think in general we should project players for foul trouble, but you kind of have to with Triple J because he has now fouled out. He's had five or more personal fouls in all but two playoff games to this point. So 
it's it's been an issue for him but i like getting to the upside when he's lower owned and once again after fouling out last game the ownership is dipped so i like his upside for tournaments i will talk about john moran in a second but first we have to answer a super chat from our guy bruce bruce thank you for leaving the super chat he wants to know who are our favorite three picks over on prize picks today so i'll pull prize picks back up for sure one of them for me is jason tatum over six rebounds we talked about that one before i think that one makes a ton of sense uh, I'm pulling up prize picks right now and looking at some of the NBA lines and seeing what else so, could make sense. I think another one I'm willing to take my chances. I don't know what Desmond Bain did to blow out his back, but <laughs> this boy's back is like a senior citizen status. But I still think I like taking my chances with uh, Desmond Bain over four rebounds. Uh, and our expected win percentage comes in at 76% with Desmond Bain. And uh, we nailed the Tatum one. I'll let you pick the third one. Uh, I like Bain over four rebounds today. Yeah, I'm looking through some of these right now. Let's see. Fantasy point totals aren't up quite yet. Uh, what are some of the Robert Williams props? Are there anything low? Is there anything low for Robert Williams? Um, let's see. Robert Williams is at seven and a half rebounds. Um, I like taking the over on, on Robert Williams at seven and a half rebounds. Once again, I think there's a chance we see increased playing time from him and he doesn't have to get to his regular season, his, his regular season average minutes per game in order to hit the over on his, on his rebound prop, because during the regular season, he averaged 9.4 rebounds per game in 29 minutes. We're looking at a seven and a half rebound prop. If you're just telling me he's going to play 26 or 28 minutes, I would still be projecting him for north of seven and a half rebounds. And I think there is a chance that he plays those extended minutes. Something else I might look at is uh, look at what sports books might be offering for alternate lines on the over rebounds for Robert Williams. But those are three that I'm going to like um, the, what, what, uh, what you just pointed out. And then also Robert Williams, the Jason Tatum and Bruce, I think those are three prize pick cards that you could build a uh, three prize pick props they could build a card around. All right, let's get back to the Memphis Grizzlies now, Ryan, and just round it up by talking about uh, John Morant here. And one thing I really think helps Morant is not that he needs any help at this point because he's been tremendous in the series. But with Dylan Brooks out, you're just eliminating somebody who takes a lot of dumb shots and likes to take usage away from John Morant. Morant should get all of the usage he can handle, which should be the case anyway. But now he doesn't have Dylan Brooks there taking some shots. I think Morant is getting slept on a little bit on this slate because he's currently projected for, I mean, 34% ownership on FanDuel seems about appropriate, but 30% on, on DK. I would rather roster John Morant than Jason Tatum. Do you feel the same way or would you rather go with Tatum? Ooh, I'd rather go with Morant than Tatum. Obviously, your similar salary allocations going there. Uh, obviously, Moran is coming off a career game, uh, dropped a 47-piece, was fantastic all game long, and he's just kind of getting – they're just letting – he's going to say it's kind of letting him cook. Now, I need to – I guess a lot of times in these series, in these playoff uh, DFS slates, you kind of have to put yourself in the coach's shoes and try to think what the coach might do to change up the game plan. Steve Kerr is an all-time head coach at just doing series adjustments. And, I mean, if you guys don't know, each time Steve Kerr has made the playoffs, he has been in the NBA Finals for a reason. So I know he has worked with some great players along the way, but 
he is really good at doing serious adjustments. I do expect an adjustment on John Moran. Now, with no Gary Payton today, uh, I think Andrew Wiggins is going to be the primary defender for most of the game whenever Wiggins is on the court on foul trouble. Wiggins is going to, I think, have the task of trying to limit slash contain John Moran to a certain extent. And there might be times where they blitz Morant uh, for certain aspects of the game where they might try to force the ball out of Morant's hand, as they should, and they should let other guys on the team beat him, potentially a Bane, potentially a Triple J, or a slow-mo. This is all hypothetical. I'm just trying to put myself in Steve Kerr's shoes and what I like my opinion probably doesn't matter to Steve Kerr, but <laughs> I do think um, if they want to get the ball to their best, uh, Memphis's best player, it might improve their chances uh, to win. But on a DFS perspective, uh, I just think I'm a little more bullish on Morant. I, I'd rather play Steph Curry on the other side of things uh, based on ownership, recency bias. Uh, and I think they're uh, obviously Morant has a little higher ceiling. We've seen it. But I just think uh, I'd rather – I'm the one to shy away if someone is coming off a playoff career high and just as a masterpiece of the game than rather to go back to him. I think that makes a little bit of sense too from this standpoint is I, I do have to think back about what I said at the top of the show. And obviously, I haven't built lineups at this point in the day. So this is something just talking to you or Adam, whoever I do the, the strategy show with in the morning. It just kind of helped me think through the slate is I did say earlier that I think ownership tends to be a little bit more uh, uh, impacted by what happened in previous games. And considering how good Morant was, it, it's always hard to quantify with numbers, but I do think people will probably be more apt to get to Morant than they normally would just because he just played so well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ultimately ends up being higher on than what his ownership projection is just because of what happened last game. So that is something that's worth talking about, or at least something that's worth thinking about when making lineups. Uh, one other guy that we haven't really talked about from Memphis, I know you talked about him when we went over the uh, prize pick stuff, but what do you make of this back injury to Desmond Bain? Because I still think he's really good. I still think the upside's there, but it's not only that he's playing poorly the last couple of games, he's not taking shots. 15% usage in game one of the series, 12% usage in game two. Do you think this is a back? Do you think it's because of the back injury? Is it a fluke? Is it something else? Like what, what does his recent usage do in terms of how you want to roster him in DFS? Yeah, I, I, the reason why I brought up the extra day of rest, um, I think this benefits Destin Bain out of any player on the slate the most. I don't know what happened to this guy's back <laughs> in between the first, uh, uh, first round one and round two, but this guy did something to it, and that is he's fucked everything up for this guy. But I think he's battling through it, and, um, and it's just been a situation. They're just letting Jock cook. Uh, it's just been like, hey, Jod, just get in the lane, do an acrobatic layup, and uh, we'll just jog back on the other side of things. And I think that we should get Desmond Bain not to return to his usage, what we saw in the Minnesota series. It was a completely different defensive scheme where uh, they, we saw Desmond Bain get more usage. I just like going back to Maine a little, uh, Bain here just because of, I think we might get the minutes to be in the high 30s, uh, barring any foul trouble. And it's a tough price tag at 6400 when Jaron Jackson Jr. is $100 cheaper than him. I know, granted, shooting guard uh, only Desmond Bain versus Power Forge Center, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. That's, you're just, I'm just looking at the salary allocation. But at a $5,800 price tag on FanDuel, 
I like a decent amount. Now, it's going to be important to see what the starting lineup might look like. I mean, I expect Bain to remain in there, but who is he going to be playing alongside? Is it going to be a Melton or a slow-mo? Or is it going to be Sire Williams who enters the starting lineup? Uh, where the Dylan Brooks usage was obviously gone after the ejection last game, but I just think uh, the opportunity of him uh, getting back some more usage, I think, is definitely in the cards. At $5,800 on FanDuel, I like going to Bain over there. Not so much on DK, where he's only shooting guard only. And FanDuel, he's shooting guard small forward only, really uh, is very uh, nice to have that multi-position eligibility. He is one of the highest owned projected players on the slate, um, which I just noticed. And it makes me look, uh, I'd rather maybe look to pivot a little bit more now that I think about it. But that's a very nice price tag for him in uh, potentially high 30s minutes. And we've seen him put up very, very nice uh, playoff games throughout uh, playoff performances throughout that first round. Yeah, I think there's clear upside. Desmond Bain, just once again, keep an eye on the ownership as we get closer to lock. He's projected for north of 50% ownership right now on FanDuel. If you guys are looking to bet on games during the NBA postseason, or if you're just looking to get action on any sport that's really out there, now is the time to check out our best bets package. Click the link below to subscribe to our team of experts. Guys like Ben Rossa, Steve Buzzard, Alex Baker, they're putting premium bets in our Discord channel, and it's something that pays for itself. The package, $25 a week. We've been tracking the results, positive ROI. So you sign up for the package and... Once again, it's going to pay for itself and putting a little bit of extra money in your pocket as well. And if you want a free preview of some of the stuff that's in our premium bets package, follow at Osmo Best Bets on Twitter and then turn on the notifications because we'll be taking one of our bets from our premium Discord channel and we post it each day out there on Twitter. So check that out. One more thing also, like this video and subscribe to the YouTube channel because we're about to talk about the final team on the slate. The Golden State Warriors, who are going to be slightly shorthanded today and going forward, because Gary Payton II, who's one of the better perimeter defenders in all of the NBA, broke his arm. He was taken out midair by Dylan Brooks last game, the reason that Dylan Brooks is suspended as well. So with Gary Payton out, he had been starting for the Warriors. What do you think the starting unit looks like, Ryan? Uh, what does the starting unit look like? Hmm. This is a, a tricky situation. I'm not sure if they remain to play that small lineup. Uh, it, it wouldn't shock me if Kavon Looney gets like the honorary start, uh, plays the first half five minutes and uh, second half five minutes. It also wouldn't shock me if we see, um, oh, what's his name, enter the starting lineup. Uh, Jordan Poole, if they go small. But Steve Kerr came out and said it's like, he doesn't. Re- he's not too keen on playing that lineup that many minutes. So it would it would shock me if they go with Jordan Poole there. But if Otto Porter might join that starting lineup, a guy who I certainly don't think that will be in the starting lineup is Damian Lee. He got rotational minutes, uh, I think, due to some foul trouble uh, for the team there. But yeah, it's. I think it's going to be Kevon Looney, but I'm not too sure. I just don't know. Uh, it would shock me if it's Kaminga or Porter, but I think. In likely order of who replaces uh, Gary Payton in the lineup, I'm going to go Looney, Porter, uh, Poole, Kaminga is the order of the starting five. Do you disagree with that? I don't. It's so hard to know because they've started Poole at times during the postseason. I would not be shocked if we see Looney start for the Warriors and Steven Adams for the Grizzlies. I, I That's kind of my gut feeling what we end up seeing. But once again, there's a whole wide range of outcomes we could see for the starting lineup. I have minimal confidence if, but if 
if you were to ask me what I think the most likely starting lineup is, I'd say Jordan Poole in place of Gary Payton, just because we've seen that in the postseason. Jordan Poole in place of Gary Payton. Yeah, Kerr had some uh, not so promising comments of that <laughs> quote unquote PTSD lineup plus Wiggins. Um, we'll see if that changes. I mean, I'm very curious to see what ends up happening, but yeah, I, I completely can see if you're going to tell me at uh, 8.30, 8.25 Eastern, we get uh, Adams and Looney starting. I would not be shocked at all. And I think both coaches might end up doing that. But in terms of like the Golden State perspective, why are they not hunting John Morant like on the one-on-one situation? They do, they've done really well when they've hunted him. But it just goes, it's like the anti-cur to hunt John Moran. The system's just based on ball movement, more passes and dribbles. Like, it's just like how they've been so good for like almost nearing a decade now. I think they need to hunt John Moran and just expose it over and over again. They, whenever they did hunt Morant, they did really well. Uh, so a fun follow throughout the series has been Bob Vulgaris. Uh, just like, he's been like, just like confused on why they haven't hunted Moran. I kind of agree with him. Yeah. And I think there will be more hunting John Morant today just because I think more game tape and just it just shows like they've done really well when they have hunted him. And if it's gonna if they're gonna hunt Morant, it's gonna be the most beneficial to uh, a Steph Curry. Uh, the definitely it's gonna benefit him the most. So he is my favorite warrior to go to. He has been throughout the playoffs in uh no, sorry. Throughout this first, uh, throughout the second round, not the playoffs. But I really like Steph Curry, and honestly, if I were building one lineup today, I would play Curry rather than John Morant because of the savings, the three-point bonus, and I, I, there is there is going to be a couple games in this series where Steph Curry out has more fantasy points than John Morant, and I think today will, will be one of them. And I just uh, need to make some sort of uh, differentiation from the field and. Why not with Steph Curry, who could really honestly drop 40 real-life points? Yeah, and I mean, something else to consider about hunting John Moran on defense, they would do a couple things. Number one, he's the worst defender in the Mem- on the Memphis Grizzlies team that gets regular rotation minutes, but also that would wear him out a little bit on offense to the point where he wouldn't just be able to blow. I mean, too, it's going to be hard to stop John Moran totally on defense, but it would help by attacking him on offense a little bit more and maybe emptying his gas tank a little bit, make him work on defense, make it harder for him on offense and fatigue him a little bit. So I do think that's something we could see more often. And Steph Curry, relative to the other payoff options on the slate, he is the least popular right now, projected for, you know, it's relative to two-game slate, but he's projected for 30% ownership on DraftKings and 33% on FanDuel for Steph Curry standards, a relatively reduced price point. So I could get behind being overweight to Steph Curry. Uh, What do you make of some of the value options here? I know we've gone through some of the players that could potentially end up in the starting lineup for the Warriors in in place of Gary Payton, but we've got Otto Porter's fairly cheap. He could see extended minutes. We mentioned Looney could potentially start. Jonathan Kaminga, he is the same nickname as my mom. He's cheap, particularly on DraftKings. Um, uh, So of the cheap guys on the Warriors, which one do you find to be the best source of salary savings? Uh, Cheap guys on the Warriors? It's going to be Otto Porter for me. Uh, honestly, I think Otto Porter, they might go with an extra wing and versus, uh, the ability to switch. I think Otto Porter definitely has that. Kaminka is definitely offensively very gifted. He's just an athletic specimen. But where he does lack is a little bit on defense. And in the playoffs, 
uh, coaches, especially Steve Curry, he can't. Uh, they never want to risk bad defense. And if he, if Kaminga gets picked on, which he certainly can, uh, I'm a little shy. I know he's only thirty one hundred. I'm a little. Uh, I'd rather shy away from that. Auto if you Auto Porter can put up high twenties fantasy points. There's a pathway for him getting there. How he gets there is uh, potentially Draymond Green foul trouble, potential Andrew Wiggins foul trouble. And there's one less, I guess, wing, if you're going to call Gary Payton a wing. He's more in the backcourt. But Gary Payton's minutes can get sprinkled to Otto Porter, uh, as we saw at last game as well. So I like Otto Porter at that price tag. Um, and I, if you were to say, I know we talked about Grant Williams before. I prefer Otto Porter to Grant Williams, just like kind of straight up. So those are the type of decision decision factors that I take a look at and like where I can pivot. I know Porter's going to get a little bit more ownership, but I think it's well uh, well worth it. And then just rounding this out by talking about the other, not necessarily role players on the Warriors, but the the secondary scoring options when we look at Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, and Andrew Wiggins, and then you know Draymond Green is a distributor. I think all of these guys warrant some consideration, but I'm not necessarily prioritizing any of them. These are probably guys that just end up close to the field on. Are any of these guys really high priority plays for you? Clay, Draymond, Poole, Wiggins. Um, I like Draymond Green. Uh, I've liked him pretty much throughout this series. Draymond Green will, I'm going to go out and say Draymond Green will have a triple-double at some point in this series. $6,500 on FanDuel is exceptional. And Draymond Green is one of those sneaky guys on the slate who can be the highest-scoring player. Uh, he has that in him. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but Draymond Green uh, can get there with steals and blocks, obviously triple-double upside as well. I like Draymond Green quite a bit. Clay Thompson is a much better shooter than the, than this. I if you don't like Steph Curry, I have no, I, I don't have any issues if you play both. But uh, Clay Thompson, we go three point bonus on DK. I like a lot. I mean, the Achilles ACL, the minutes. There is no minutes restriction for Clay. He is playing. There have been games he's playing forty plus minutes. Uh, so I like this Golden State team in general, and I really hope they win this series because I want to see a Golden State Phoenix conference finals matchup. Uh, but I like the Golden State, uh, kind of like their roster pretty much. Um, I mean, in terms of fantasy perspective as well, I think they're all priced favorably, even Wiggins, just because of the minutes he's playing. And uh, I just, uh, I'm willing to take some chances on all their starters uh, kind of getting above the field on most of those guys. All right. And that is pretty much going to round it up. Unless do you have any other thoughts you want to bring up on the, on the slate before we close out, Ryan? Yeah, uh, be willing to uh, obviously – Keep an eye. There's a massive gap in game time and uh, potential starting lineups to deal with. I mean, uh, there's Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones. I mean, one thing that we didn't, I think, what do you think, who do you think uh, Memphis will start is the key thing. I don't think Tyus Jones will enter the starting lineup, and I don't think, uh, it's tough to say, I don't even know what they're going to do. But keep an eye on the starting lineup for Memphis. It could be a bunch of different combinations. Uh, be willing to take some chances off uh, some, some bench guys on both teams. My best guess would be Zaire. Will- so I want to say my best guess would be Zaire Williams just because he started all regular season when Dylan Brooks is out, but he also is kind of garbage Zaire Williams. And once again, because people in chat do this, when we say a player is no good, they're like, oh, you think you're better? No, I don't think I'm better at Zaire Will- at basketball than Zaire Williams. It's all relative to other NBA players. And if you look at the Grizzlies roster, Zaire Williams is what, at best, the ninth best player on the team? Probably lower not relative to other players on the Grizzlies. They have better options to go to than Zaire Williams, but they've started him in a bunch of these spots before. So 
I guess I would say Zaire Williams is my most confident pick, but it's still like a well under 50% confidence interval. Yeah, and, uh, don't get me wrong. I think Zaire Williams is a very, very talented uh, basketball player, and I think he has a lot of growing to do. I mean, he was, I believe, one of the most highly touted high school athletes before uh, high school players headed to Stanford. I mean, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I think all of these basketball players are exceptional. They've probably given everyone buckets. I mean, at one point before the NBA, they are the best player on their team more times than not. So they're definitely world-class athletes for a reason. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening in the starting lineup. It's very, it's, uh, I need to, I guess, be willing to take some guesses. It's going to be really important to be able to nail that kind of beforehand. It's a a very interesting two-game slate because of the time gap and what we're dealing with the second game with injury suspension, guys coming back from health and safety protocols. So we'll see what ends up happening. All right, guys, that is going to do it for us. Once again, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and stick around. We've got the MLB Strategy Show coming up right after this.